Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, we have... We have been talking about, started a series on Psalms uh, as of last week, and um, one of the things about the Psalms is they, for us, represent really theology. Now, you may think, okay, well, they're, they're really just poems, right? They're, they're songs, and, and yet one of the beautiful parts of what we see in Scripture and how God reveals himself to us is that the revelation comes in not systematic theologies. When there's there's great systematic theologies out there, right? Uh, some by Wayne Grudem's got a great one. Uh, Louis Berry Schaefer had one back in the fifties, and uh, others have written great theological treatises reflecting on scriptures. But that's not how scripture comes to us, is it? Scripture comes to us and reveals God to us in ways that are well are different. Lots of them through the Psalms. One of my favorite verses. Uh, uh, it's uh, Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, uh, verse nine, and uh, it's, it says, "For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, searching to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him." And that's just a great verse, but it's it's embedded in a curse. Uh, the curse comes to Asa because he had trusted the Lord earlier in his life and and was dependent upon Him, and and yet. When he came to some kind of problem with his neighbor to the north, Israel, he just said, I got this, I'll just figure it out myself. And so he, he gets himself into an alliance with, with Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, and, and everything gets settled, except for this, he was counting on his own guile. And Hanani, the, the prophet, comes and says, the eyes of the Lord are searching for those whose hearts are could fully committed to him to strengthen them. But you have done a foolish thing by relying on Ben-Hadad. And so from now on, you're going to be at war in your life. So it's good to know the promise that the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout this, or range throughout this world. But sometimes we find those truths and things that are, well, not quite theological treatises. We've got to look and we see, and one of the things we see in the Psalms is that God reveals who he is and, and demonstrates who he is and, and gives us pictures. Uh, in, in Trepper Longman's book on, on Psalms, he has a couple quotes from different people throughout the age of the church. A fourth century theologian, Athanasius, called the Psalms an epitome of the whole scriptures. Uh, Basil, the bishop of Caesarea in the fourth century as well, he said that the Psalms were a compendium of all theology. Martin Luther, the reformer from the 16th century, called the Psalms a little Bible and the summary of the Old Testament. Uh, when we come to the Psalms, uh, we are not just approaching songs and poems about God and our relationship with them, but, but real people dealing with the God of this universe and our circumstances. Because theology is something all of us do. It's not just people who write those systematic theologies. It's, it's all of us. And 
almost all the time we discover the best theological truths in the midst of the messiness of life. Because if, if God's theology doesn't fit in the messiness of life, then, then what good is it? It's this messiness that speaks to us. It's not something that's abstract. It's something that's, well, that's experienced and learned. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, sports I love is baseball. And, and if you're going to learn how to play baseball, different parts of it, for example, if you're going to learn to throw a ball, well, you can read about how to throw. You know, you need to step through and come over the top and do that. But really, to learn to throw, you've got to do it. The same thing with batting a ball. You've got to do it. And, and for the outfielders, as they're waiting for the ball to, to be thrown and the hit to, in their way, they've got to know so many things about it that they've experienced. And so at the crack of the bat, the experienced outfielder goes in the right directions and figures out how fast he needs to get there. Well, if you were to be a physics student and just sit down on paper to write this out, it would take you several minutes to work out the equation. Okay, the velocity of the ball and then the, the swing of the bat, how hard it is and, and what angle it comes to. And I mean, by the time you figured that out, the ball is sitting out there on the fence. But the experienced one knows, all right, I need to go this way this fast and I need to get there as, as quickly as I can or I've got plenty of time to do it. It's experienced and... And that's what theology is. That's what life is in connection with God. We, we live it through experience. And as we, as we approach the Psalms, one of the things that we see is, as we come to these texts is that God is speaking through people to us and the circumstances we're going through and, and facing and enduring. Uh, and so it is with the Psalm that we're looking at today, the, the second Psalm. And the second psalm comes to us, obviously following the first one. As these psalms were compiled, there's a very real sense where Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are, are, are coupled together. Uh, neither of them, if you look in your Bibles, has a little title ahead of it, like a psalm of David, many of them have. Uh, psalm 3 does, and, and, and most of the rest of the ones in the first book of Psalms, which we consider Numbers 1 through 41. But the two of them together serve as kind of an introduction to the person knowing God and communicating with God and listening to God. Psalm 1, which we looked at last week, blessed is the man, blessed is the person who does not walk in the way of sinners, and as it goes on, but, but whose delight is in the Word of God, who meditates on it day and night and follows his path. There's the path of the unrighteous and the path of the blessed one. And as Psalm 2 continues to, to introduce us to what life is about and how to approach coming to God, there's expressions for us and how to live this out. What well, starts off with a question. Psalm 2, if you have in your Bibles, well, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. 
You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So again, the, Psalm 2 begins with a question, why do the kings conspire and, and the people's plot in vain? Uh, a little bit of a wordplay going on there. In the, the word plot in particular, it's the exact same word that's used in Psalm 1. It is the word that is there is used as meditate. Uh, kind of the, 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 the basic breadth of the word is to to consider and to murmur, maybe talk back to yourself. So if there's a, a piece of scripture you, you're meditating on, you're kind of repeating it over again and, and, sp- and speaking it to yourself, maybe a low murmur as you, you try and think of it. When I was working on, on that passage in Second Chronicles, I, I repeated again and again, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. And, and so it's in the repetition I was able to remember that. Uh, so much so for, for all the verses that we meditate on and think through. But... When it comes to this passage now, the, the murmuring is, is not a positive thing, but it is, it is negative. It is, it is plotting. And, and, and we find that in the context, right? How does the same word have a different connotation? Well, it's just in the context of things. Uh, we do similar things in English, right? So if I say that my arm is shot, it means that from playing ball all those years, uh, I, just, I have no velocity on it anymore. I can hardly throw it all. So my arm is shot. But if I say my arm was shot, well, there's just one word difference there, but it means something entirely different. My arm was shot. Someone shot my arm with a gun or with an arrow, and, and now it's damp. So it's probably shot because it was shot. But nevertheless, uh, that, that's kind of the breadth of meaning that happens. And so much so here for, for, for as we come to this word, uh, which in Hebrew is haggah, just meditate or plot. You have this picture in this one. They're they're just talking amongst themselves. What is you know? How can we get? How can we throw off this guy? This and and they're talking about God. Psalm two starts with this conspiracy that is happening, and and people are thinking, how can we throw off the reign of God and and His anointed one? What is His anointed one? We we use the phrase anointed. I uh, choose in scriptures for, well, the one who was made to be king. He is anointed as the king. Uh, the, the Hebrew word is Messiah. And in the Hebrew word then translated into Greek is the Christos, or for us it is anointed. And, and so there's, for those of us who have come to faith in Jesus and have read different parts of the New Testament, we are a little bit in tune to, okay, so anointed one. What is, is he speaking of Jesus here? Is, do we understand that what he's calling forth is, is, is this is part of whom they're trying to throw off? However it is, you have the leaders of the world, and they're looking at anyone who would throw any kind of control over them, particularly God. It's like, how can we throw off his shackles and, and the bonds he's placed upon us? We want to be independent. We want to choose our own ways. We want to have this is, I will control my own destiny, my own kingdom. Um, that unfortunately is the, the quote of many people, kings, rulers, or whatever. Um, 
one of my relatives at one point in his life said, God can control his kingdom, and I, can, can, I will control mine. And that's our attitude. I will be in control of my own stuff. I'm not going to have someone standing over me telling me what to do. Well, that's the conspiracy. How can we get rid of those bonds in our life? Well, the Lord has a response to that. <laughs> and uh, it says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at that. Because it's ridiculous, right? Who, who do you think you are? And this is not uncommon in the world. Um, uh, in uh, one of my commentaries by James Montgomery Boyce, he, uh, he refers to some comments made by Diocletian back in, uh, in the 300s. And uh, he put up two monuments. Uh, one monument went like this. Diocletian, Jovian, Maximilian, uh, Hercules, Caesarus, Auguste, for having extended the Roman Empire in the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the republic to ruin. Well, that's what one monument said. And then another said, Diocletian, Jovian, Maximian, Her Herculeus, Caesarus, Augusti, for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ, for having extended the worship of the gods. Well, that was in the 300s. We are in 2019, and uh, Christianity has not been abolished. It was a, a vainglorious kind of prediction or proclamation, and certainly things were beaten down, but that's the attitude of many. We have seen within the last hundred years many national rulers who have tried to eradicate any kind of belief in God and, and substitute for it uh, the, the states in its place. And, and, and while for many they have believed that or listened to that and for their own safety's sake acknowledge that, uh, even within their own countries, there continues to be robust followers of Jesus. That the the attempts to eradicate and to destroy and to uh, embarrass or to humiliate or intimidate uh, has not been successful. But such is the, the positions of the rulers of the world and the God of this universe. He scoffs at it and, and then continues that he has installed my king on Zion. Well, in its original setting, they certainly would have looked at the kings of Israel as, as part of this description of what God has done. When God picks a king to, to lead the people of Israel, to, to anoint him and to, to have him stand over the, God's people with the very intent that they would also be leading others towards this God. That for all time, the purpose of, of God's people being God's people was not to put them at the side and says, all right, I put a hedge around them. You can't touch them. They're mine. Nah, nah, nah. Well, the purpose always of this people was to stand before the nation and say, God has chosen us to help you to see who he is. When they come out of the Exodus, it is, the Lord says, you are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. You have been set aside to what? What does a priest do? He serves before God for the people and before the people on behalf of God. And so a kingdom of priests, what are they to do? Well, the whole kingdom 
to serve the other kingdoms so that they might see God. That's always been God's intent, that others might see him through his people. And so when he anoints his holy people, his, his holy king on Zion, uh, there is certainly this aspect where I've lifted this one so that you can see what it means to be a follower of, of Yahweh, of God. But then he continues on and begins, and he talks about this inheritance for the ages. In verse 7, I, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Um, if, if those verses sound familiar to you, then you've read the New Testament. <laughs> because those verses, particularly this, you are my son, and comes in several places in the New Testament. Mark in chapter 1 and, and Luke in chapter 3. When Jesus is baptized, this phrase comes from on high. You are my son. Echoing Psalm 2. In Acts chapter 13, it comes out again as a quotation. As, as Paul is speaking to the people in Antioch about who Jesus is and explaining the Old Testament, how all the things fit together in, in culminating in Jesus the Christ, he quotes Psalm 2. And, and then in the series we just looked at uh, over this, most of this first part of this year in Hebrews, twice this is referred to, you are my son. And so for those of us within the Christian faith and tradition, we understand this passage is used with direct connections to our Lord Jesus. And what is he saying here? The inheritance that the Son gets is the nations. So these scoffing nations, these ones who are, are seeking to throw off the rule of God, eventually will all be the inheritance that God himself gives to the Son. That, that passage that in, in, in Philippians that Paul says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says that everyone, it, it's, it's a matter of when will you do it? Uh, can we do it in this lifetime or will we be fighting him the whole way to such time where we're facing judgment and recognize we have rejected for all time God, but now seeing he is the Son of God. He is. I should have embraced him and, and come to him and, and put my faith in him. And so it ends then with warnings. Uh, warnings for the rulers, certainly, but I, I think in this warnings for all of us. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his path can flare up in a moment blessed are all who take refuge in him Psalm 1 talked about two paths and two ways that there's blessed is he who does not walk and, and stand and sits in the seats of uh, the, the wicked the sinners, the mockers but his delight is in the Lord. And the Psalm 1 ends with these two paths being delineated, that the Lord watches over the path of the righteous, but not the path of the wicked. 
and as Psalm 2 ends, now with the very same word that Psalm 1 ended with, blessed is he, now blessed are they who take refuge in the Lord. It's a call and warning for all of us. What are we putting our, our trust in? What are we putting our confidence in? And as we approach Psalms in general, if we take Psalm 1 and 2 as, as, as ways of introducing us to be people who listen to the Lord and, and take these songs and these poems and discover who God is in our life, who will we be as we do this? Will, be, will we be mockers who, who look at it with, with skepticism? Or will we embrace or kiss the Son, loving Him, coming to Him with faith and, and hope and promise. Because many are out there who will say, this is foolishness, this is nonsense. Why would you do this? A warning for us all. It's a threat for those who oppose the Bible, but, but also an encouragement for us to tell others about what we know. But even more, and this is as Gerald Wilson says in his commentary, for us to consider as well how to lay down our own banners of personal freedom and self-satisfaction in order to kiss the sun and thus avoid the path or road that leads to destruction. Uh, the call of freedom in our society is, is pretty stark. We hang on to it in many ways, and, and we, we look at things that bind us to them, oftentimes negatively. You maybe have heard the phrase in reference to marriage, the old ball and chain. And, and for some, their perspective on the bonds of matrimony are these things that have them shackled, and their freedom is now curtailed. Whereas for others who look at those bonds in more joyful ways, say, I'm connected to this person whom I love, and I have confidence and peace in this person that I have now made one with, so much so with God himself. And so are there areas in your life that you say, I will not be controlled by anyone. I will do what I want to do. Even if, even if God is saying, I want you connected to me in this area of your life as well. I want you to be able to trust me in this area of your life as well. There are stories again and again throughout our ages of people who have been faced with the starkest things to deal with. Hardship and difficulty. Martyrdom. I have this book. It comes from uh, the voice of the martyrs, David C. Cook. I am N. Um, it's available free to them if you ask them for it. It is stories, and, and I am N is, N is what is placed on, on people who confess Jesus as their Savior in, in many of these Arabic Muslim countries. And it is a sign that anyone can attack them or tear it down or whatever. It is, it is a symbol of derision. And yet the stories that are in this are those saying, I am in. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and tells many of their stories who being faced with, you may live and deny Christ, 
or you may die right now. And it speaks of those who say, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will not turn my back on him no matter what you say, no matter what the rulers, no matter what the laws, no matter what any of that is. I am a follower of Jesus. Kiss the Son. Embrace the Lord in our lives no matter what. Because the rulers and the kings of this earth who proclaim we have the power what appears to that for now. But ultimately, the Lord laughs. What are you thinking? What were you thinking? At some pace, sometime, they too will face the Lord and they will bow their knee and confess with their mouth. He's always been Lord. I didn't confess it. Where are you today? Have you confessed that in your life, or are you still resisting it? Maybe your wrestling match with them continues, or maybe you want nothing to do with it. I was uh, in a place uh, earlier this week, and, and uh, someone said I was making some comments across the restaurant, and, and they said, you know, if I was to believe in God, I think I'd go to his church. And... Uh, and I mean, on some level, that's amusing to me, and yet some level, it's 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 terrifying. And and I'm praying, Lord, is there some way to reach this person so that they can see that you exist? Because that's what it comes down to: to helping people see that the God of the universe not only exists, but cares for you and loves you and wants you to know Him, and has gone to great lengths to make that happen. But ultimately there's a huge cost for not doing so because the evidence is there. What will you do? Whose path will you choose to follow? Your own or the Lord's? Let's stand before you pray. Father, this morning as we've gathered here and we have come remembering the cost that you paid on our behalf your death and burial and and yet your subsequent resurrection the new life that you promise this new blood of your covenant that comes to us Lord help us to consider the ways that we sometimes resist and rebel at being shackled to you and look at that in negatively but to find ways to embrace that being bound to you is a beautiful expression of our commitment to you and yours to us. That you loved us so much. That you made a way for us to be right with you. And that's always been your desire. You created mankind. And you called them to know you, to serve you, to rule over this world, caring for this world but you made us in your image, your very image, male and female. Lord, help us to embrace again what we reflect of you, knowing you, walking with you, and being happily bound to you as we kiss the sun. We lift you up through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day.
Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.